first Sunday in Advent. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Looking forward to opening the scriptures with you, particularly Isaiah 40, as we move into this Advent season. Advent, as you may or may not know, probably know, uh, Advent is the season of longing, of pre-preparation for the coming of the Messiah. We enter, as it were, Israel's story as they long, come thou long expected Jesus uh, is the spirit of Advent. It's not Christmas. Christmas is the coming, the the, the landing of the Messiah who comes to uh, release the captive people and all of that. So Advent is about longing. And perhaps there is no chapter in all of the scriptures that captures this as beautifully as Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 starts out, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. It ends with those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. It is a chapter that specifically um, enters us into this longing of Israel and God comes and speaks to us and promises. And it's a chapter for our time as much as it was a chapter for Isaiah's day. Some of you know a little bit about Isaiah. Isaiah, uh, the first 35 chapters are his prophecies basically against uh, wicked Israel. Uh, some very harsh words are, are said by God against Israel. Woe to those who degree, decree iniquitous decrees, the writers who keep writing oppression. They turn aside the needy from justice, rob the poor of my people of their right. It's Isaiah 10. There's so much of that uh, that content throughout the first parts of Isaiah. Then in 36 to 39, we have some um, uh, sort of historical information during Isaiah's time, the time of Hezekiah. Uh, and at the end of chapter 39, Hezekiah hosts uh, an envoy from Babylon, and he shows them all of the things that are inside of the, the temple in Israel and that kind of thing. And Isaiah says, woe to you. Uh, the days are coming when all that is in your house, this is 39.6, and all that your fathers have stored up shall be carried off to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons will come to you whom you will father. They will be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Um, he promises, he prophesies here the, the fall of Israel. And it's, uh, it's, it's very dire. In the midst of great deliverance that we saw uh, in those chapters from the Assyrians, uh, the pride of Hezekiah, the pride of Israel will lead to their fall. But almost before the ink is dry, uh, God turns to comfort. Uh, and this is the passage that we have here in the second half of Isaiah, which is Isaiah 40 to 66, is the promise, it's hope, deliverance for the people of Israel. And it's such a wonderful word to a people whose world uh, has been shattered. And this, of course, was a prophecy that was then picked up by the people in exile in Babylon, and it was read over and over and over again. So here we are 
uh, in our own sort of shattered world, exiled moment while we wait for the second coming of Christ. And we pick up these words of comfort that God gives to his people from every generation. Let me read for you the first five verses. I'm sure you will recognize them. Many of you well familiar with uh, Handel's Messiah and the, the strains that come through these first five verses. Um, but let's read them together and then we'll dive in and see if we can't. Uh, understand them more deeply. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Uh, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. For every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Father, as we read these words, and as we seek to dive into them this week. Lord, we ask that you would help us in the midst of our own exile, in the midst of our own wanderings and desert. We pray that you would help us to see the glories that you have promised us in the coming Messiah. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. During uh, the Thanksgiving holiday, my family and I had the opportunity to watch a documentary called The Free Burma Rangers. Some of you may have been familiar with the story of David and Karen Eubank. Um, for the last 24 years, they've been engaged in an unusual mission. Uh, namely, they go to uh, some of the world's hot spots, particularly uh, Burma, uh, Mosul uh, in Iraq, uh, Syria. They go to some of these hot spots and using a combination of David's military training as well as just a gospel presence, uh, they, they go to these places and they come alongside of oppressed groups. They seek to offer medical um, services. They, they video the the things that are going on, try to get out uh, stories of injustice to the world. Uh, it's really a remarkable story. In, in so many ways, it connects with what we talked about last week, passion and calling. And if you have an opportunity to read a little bit of their story or see uh, the, the documentary, you'll understand just the, the clear passion and calling that they have for this ministry. But one of the things that struck me as we were watching this was the, the belief that they had that part of their mission, um, you know, there are some very concrete, constructive things that they are doing, like bringing medical supplies, getting the story out to the world uh, that oftentimes contradicts the story of those who are in power, particularly in Burma. Um, part of what they were doing is just simply uh, being there with the people who were in a desperate, desperate situation. Uh, they would recognize that these people needed hope. They needed 
Um, they needed some sense of solidarity that they were not on their own, but that there were people that were care that would care and would be willing to come and, and sit with them in the jungles of Burma or in the wastelands of Mosul or wherever it was. And, and this is the picture that we get right now from God through his prophet Isaiah regarding his people. His people uh, find themselves in a desperate situation, in exile. Uh, the prophecy of it there in 39, 5 to 7, uh, the experience of it some 150 years later when they are actually taken away into the Babylonian captivity. And, and yet right away, God comes, you know, again, almost as soon as the ink is dry on the prophecy that they are going into exile, comes the prophetic word of comfort, the prophetic word of promise, the prophetic word of hope. And I want to walk through that this morning, just these five verses, and, and see if we can't grab hold of it more tightly. The first thing that we recognize is that we live as God's people in a shattered world. Uh, the imagery here is in the wilderness, uh, prepare a highway for the Lord, uh, make straight in the desert a highway. God is coming with comfort because the people are finding themselves in a desperate and in a desolate place. Uh, this is, of course, uh, the reality for these folks. If you go back and you read Psalm 137, which is a psalm of lament, uh, where they talk about being by the rivers in Babylon and, and, and lamenting, you realize that they are separate from their land, they're separate from their identity, they're separate in some senses from their God from worship and the temple and all of those different things. God is with them, of course. Uh, but the experience of desolation, the experience of the desert of wilderness is something that is very real for them. Of course, this is a huge uh, picture throughout uh, the scriptures. We see that, uh, in, of course, with the Israelites wandering in, in the wilderness for so many years. Like, this is part of what it means to be a Christian. There is that pilgrim days as we wander through. And then, of course, John the Baptist takes these words on himself, and he cries as a voice crying in the wilderness. We find that in Luke chapter 3. Uh, we see that uh, you know, he is saying, even now here, as we are under Roman rule, as we are in our land, there is that wilderness sense. And we, of course, can connect with this as well. We are in between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. We are awaiting the final consummation of all things. And we find ourselves in the wilderness, particularly 2020. We we can identify with being in the wilderness, in the desert, a world that is shattered, a world where things are not as we thought uh, they should be or uh, as God created them to be. But here's one of the things that we have to reckon with with regards to that is the reason why they are not. Notice in verse 2, God says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all 
her sins. The, the key phrases that I want to focus in here is this idea of her warfare and her iniquity. As I mentioned or alluded to earlier, the first half of Isaiah is largely God coming to his people and calling them out for their idolatry, calling them out for their wickedness, calling them out for the injustice that they are perpetrating in very practical ways in the land. And this is what has led them to, uh, to exile. This is what has led them to Uh, to the hard places, to the desert. It's not God's doing that has led them to these places, but rather it is their own hard-heartedness. It is their own rebellion. When it says here that her warfare, uh, some translations have their hard service is ended. Um, The the picture there is, is somebody who is in Uh, an army. That's literally the word that is there in Hebrew. And they're in an army, but they're not fighting for the Lord at this point. They're fighting against the Lord. They're raising their fists. They're rebelling. And this has been the state of humankind every, you know, from the very beginning of creation, once God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden. Uh, When they decided to take matters into their own hands, literally, the fruit of the tree, and eat it because they wanted to be wise, they wanted to be God, they entered into a time of warfare, rebellion. And so the very, the, the strivings of our heart over and over and over again are against the Lord, are against the ways that he has instituted in this world. And they are the things that drive us then into the desert. It's easy to see ourselves, even in a time like 2020, it's easy to see ourselves as victims. Uh, It's easy for the Israelites sitting by the streams in Babylon to say, why has God been uh, so harsh with us? Why, Why are we going through this difficulty? But the reality is, and God says, it's your iniquity. It's your warfare. It's your rebellion. This is what has brought you to this particular place in the desert. And this is true for us as well. We have to reckon with this. Uh, it's so easy to look over the course of our lives and be bitter, uh, to be discouraged, to be angry with other people without without dealing with the fact that um, apart from the grace of God in our lives, we are at war with him. We fight against him. I, I even see that, you know, even in our redeemed state, we, we still battle that, that old nature that is in us that wants to raise our hand before the Lord and fight him uh, when he asks us to surrender. But the promise here is that the world is not going to remain shattered, but that God is bringing renewal to this world. Like That is what God is, is coming. He's coming and he's saying, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Here's, here's, what, here's the promise, verse 3. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight a desert highway for our God. Every valley shall be Lifted up, or if you like the old translation, shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill laid low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places 
shall be a plain. What God is saying here is that these obstacles that you are now facing are not forever obstacles. Uh, they are going to be made plain. They're going to be made straight. And this desert, which seems to be such a place of separation, such a place where you're not experiencing the closeness of God is actually going to become a highway. It's going to become uh, a wide place where you can meet with God and where God himself will come and will meet with you. This is the promise. The glory of the Lord, the prophet says, shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. That this darkness, this, uh, this, this fog that we are shrouded in, in the here and now is not permanent but it's temporary, and that God is coming with all of his glory, and we are going to see it. It's interesting. Uh, you know, there are several things. Some people have looked at the book of Isaiah, and they have said there, there's such a difference in message between 1 to 35 and then 40 to 66. Could these be two different uh, authors that are actually writing these things? Um, but Part of, the, part of the reason why I would be in the camp that says Isaiah is written by one author, though here in, in chapter 40, he begins to look forward, speaking specifically to the exilic people, is the linking of these themes like glory. You remember back in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah was called uh, and, and his call was to proclaim the glory of the Lord. It was the glory of the Lord that filled the temple. It was the uh, angels and seraphim who covered their faces and cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And, and that was something that came to Isaiah and he was to proclaim that to the people of Israel and calling them to repentance, even as John the Baptist uh, would call the people of Israel to repentance. But here it's, it's, it's this glory that doesn't come just simply to Isaiah, but it's this glory that is going to be revealed and it's going to be revealed to all flesh. All flesh shall see him together. So this, uh, this promise of deliverance, this promise of renewal in the world is going to be for all of the world. I don't want to spend a lot of time here at this particular point today because we're going to be picking up these themes in the next couple of weeks where we're talking about this glory of the Lord that is revealed, that's glory that is going to be for all people. But what I want you to see right now is that in the midst of our shattered world, uh, and a shattered world which we certainly can relate to. In the midst of our shattered world, there is the promise of renewal. And that is what Isaiah is holding before the people. And that is what he is promising. And that is what he is saying. Take hold of this. Take hold of this. Uh, because it is going to be the thing that is going to get you through your time of hard service. But can we trust it? That's the question always. I mean, can we trust this word? Uh, notice that uh, Isaiah concludes these verses or this first opening symphony, symphony with the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Uh, and we're going to take that up more throughout this uh, a little bit later um, 
you know, all flesh is as grass, beauty is like the flower, the field, the grass withers, the flower fades, um, but the word of our God will stand forever. We oftentimes will even use that as a call to response because what is revealed here is uh, something about the nature of who God is. And, and this is the tender word uh, that really stands out in this passage. And it's this that I want you to leave with, uh, the promise of renewal in the midst of a shattered world. We can trust it because it is coming directly from the heart of God. Notice how this chapter starts. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Some of you know um, the older translation, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. And, and what that translation is, uh, is emphasizing is that what God is saying here is he is saying in plurality. Uh, he's saying it twice, comfort, comfort my people. Why, why do they repeat things? They repeat things for emphasis. And, and what God wants his people to hear that the moment that he pronounces a just judgment on them, 39, five to seven, he comes back with this emphasized word of comfort. And it's not just one comforter, it's multiple comforters. Comfort ye, comfort ye all, it's plural. Comfort ye my people. God is coming in order to speak comfort and tenderness and promise and renewal and uh, redemption to the people of God. This is his heart. He doesn't want us to be in the shattered world of the desert. He doesn't want us to experience the warfare of the raised fists, whether it is us and we deserve that or not. God comes to a people because he reveals his heart in this way. And he says, I want you to hear the comfort that I am bringing, the comfort that your warfare is ended, the comfort that all of these obstacles, the valleys, they'll be exalted, the, the mountains that are in your way, they will be uh, laid low, the rough places will become a plain. All of these things that separate you from an experience of closeness with me, I am, I am removing these obstacles so that you can come close. And I want you to know this because this is my heart. This is what actually Jesus says. Jesus, who is the Messiah, the one who comes in, in fulfillment of all of these prophecies in order to make the, the desert a highway between God and his people. Uh, Jesus says about himself, he says, take my yoke upon me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. Learn from me, Matthew 11, uh, toward the end of the chapter there. God's heart, by his own mouth and his own revelation, is one of comfort, of speaking tenderly to his people. We see it 
In, in other prophecies, in Hosea, God says, take Israel out into the wilderness and there I will speak tenderly to her. I will allure her. If you believe something about God other than this, you are not listening to how God reveals himself. You are, you are clouded by maybe your own warfare, your own rebellion. You're clouded by the notions that other people maybe have given you about God. But God reveals himself to us in this way, that he is a God whose heart wants to draw near to an exiled people. He wants to speak tenderly to them. He wants you to know that he is gentle and lowly in heart. He wants you to come and, and to get into the yoke with him. Is it how you experience God? Do you need to be reminded of that? I know that I do. I need to be reminded that God draws near to me in that way. He doesn't stay far off. Uh, one commentator said here of this comfort, the many comforters and, and all that God is speaking of here, his comfort dwarfs his condemnation. The condemnation came, uh, it is, is played out. God is, is very uh, just in that way. He, he doesn't make light of our iniquity. He cannot make light of our iniquity. Uh, but he wants us to understand that his heart is towards tenderness, compassion, and comfort. But notice also, and I alluded to this, God cannot make light of our iniquity. And so he says uh, that um, the promise is that God's people have received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, how do you read that? when you see that? Do you see that in terms of condemnation, that God has been so, um, has been so exacting of his people that he has demanded double for their sins? Like if they sinned once, they would pay twice. That is actually not what is being said here. God is saying your iniquity is pardoned. Uh, her warfare is ended, but this isn't something that you could do for yourself. And so you've received it from the Lord's hand. You've received not only the pardon for the iniquity that you know, but you've received double for all your sins, even the iniquity that you did not know, the consequences that you had not reckoned with. These two the Lord has pardoned. And this, of course, just leads us right to the Lord Jesus Christ because it was literally his hands that bore the scar. It was literally his hands that were nailed to the cross. It was literally from his hand that we receive the pardon for our iniquity, the end of our warfare against him, God did what we could never do on our own. And this is the glory of the Lord. Uh, it's far more comprehensive than we ever could have imagined. It, it says, uh, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. What is the glory of the Lord? It's the fact that a rebellious people who deserve to live in a deserted, shattered world have been brought close 
have been made new, have been pardoned in their iniquity, and that they haven't done it, but the Lord has done it for them. This is the promise that Isaiah is hinting at here. This is what he sees far off in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we celebrate as we long for the second coming of Jesus and we look back at his first coming. We say, this is why he has come. So that all flesh, not just the Jewish nation, but all flesh shall see it together. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans that we just got done studying. This is the glory of the Lord. If you remember back to Isaiah chapter 6, the, the glory of the Lord culminates when one of the seraphs comes and he takes a coal from the altar and he touches Isaiah's lips with it. And he says, your iniquity is forgiven. But it's not just Isaiah, it's not just the people of Israel, it's all flesh seeing the glory of the Lord and his hand has accomplished it. This is the tender word that Isaiah is bringing an exiled people. Brothers and sisters, we are just getting started in this chapter, but already my heart sings, it leaps because of the promises that God gives us here, that our hard service, our warfare is ended. Speak tenderly to my people. Their iniquity is pardoned. And help them to see that the glory of the Lord is wrapped up in his redemptive plan, bringing uh, the valleys up, the mountains low, making a highway in the desert so that God can be with his people. Brothers and sisters, I, I hope that this uh, touches into the longings of your heart as we begin this Advent journey. I started with the free Burma Rangers and David and Karen Eubank. Uh, we've been looking at this sort of main idea that God sees the situation, um, our desperate situation that we are in because of our own iniquities and he moves because of his compassionate heart, because of his tender mercies. He moves to us in order to speak a word of promise and comfort to us. There was one situation in Mosul recently where David Eubank and his Free Burma Rangers were, where they uh, saw after, you know, ISIS has just been. Uh, obliterating the people in that Iraqi city there, which incidentally is the biblical city of Nineveh. Um, and, and there was a, a group of Iraqis who were pinned down by ISIS fire on all sides, but there were some that were still living there among the dead, uh, a young child uh, just sitting vacant stairs covering her own body and face from the sun with the shawl of her dead mo mother. David and his group observed them and they said, we, we've got to get over there and we've got to rescue them. They are lives that are precious in God's sight. Um, we can't completely fix their situation, but we can go and we can be near them and we can rescue them. And so 
calling on the Americans to provide a smoke cover for them, the Iraqi army uh, to provide a tank cover for them. They, at the risk of their own lives, moved into a desperate uh, desert situation in order to draw close, to put their arms around this little girl, to rescue her and bring her to a place of safety. They didn't have all the answers, uh, but there was a scene where you could just see them holding her and saying, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. You are rescued now. In some sense, that is the picture that we get in Isaiah 40. God comes to us in the midst of our shattered world, and he says, it's okay. I've got this. I will move heaven and earth in order to speak my words of tender compassion into your ear. And I have done so in Jesus Christ. May our hearts leap with joy. Uh, at the tender compassion of our God and Savior. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We ask that you would use it to encourage our hearts even today. Father, we pray for those who are feeling uh, the effects of a shattered world uh, most acutely. Lord, we pray that you would open up your own heart to, to go and that they might be able to receive the word that their iniquity is pardoned and their warfare is ended. Father, we love you. We pray that you would uh, meet us with all your promise in Jesus' name. Amen.